Hello and welcome to Sustainability Spotlights, a podcast by the McGill Journal of Sustainable Development Law. I'm Angela Yang. I'm Chris Irwin. And I'm Nicholas Cameron. We are members of the McGill Journal of Sustainable Development Law's editorial board. People with disabilities form 15% of the world's population and feel the effects of climate change to a disproportionate extent. Yet their presence goes largely unseen in the field of climate action. As government officials, researchers, and civil leaders gathered in Glasgow in November 2021 for COP26, a McGill research initiative looked to change the state of affairs. The Disability Inclusive Climate Action Research Program, or DICARP, unites researchers and activists worldwide in highlighting the effects of climate change and policy on people with disabilities. The initiative is led by the McGill Faculty of Law's Professor Sebastian Jodouin, the Canada Research Chair on Human Rights, Health, and the Environment, alongside the Centre for Human Rights and Legal Pluralism. On November 5th, DICARP co-hosted the first official side event in the 30-year history of UN climate negotiations to focus on disability and people with disabilities. In this episode, we had the pleasure of speaking with Catherine Lofts, Senior Research Associate with DICARP and the Canada Research Chair in Human Rights, Health, and the Environment. Holding BCL, LLB, and LLM degrees from McGill's Faculty of Law, Lofts has spent the last decade conducting research at the intersections of climate change and human rights. She has served as the Program Manager for the Centre for International Sustainable Development Law's Climate Change Program, Managing Director of the Nomomente Institute, and has previously worked for the law firm White and Case in New York. She has also interned with the UNICEF UK in London, the South Asia Human Rights Documentation Centre in Delhi, and a Rights and Democracies Women's Rights Program in Montreal. At COP26, Catherine Loss had the opportunity to share the results of DICARP's report on disability inclusion in national climate commitments and policies. We began our conversation by asking Catherine about her path towards studying the intersection of climate change and disability and her involvement in DICARP. So studying climate change and disability is really an extension of the work that I've been doing for quite a while now, I guess. So I first started working on the issue of climate change over a decade ago. And my initial encounter with this work was in the context of child rights and intergenerational justice. And it really opened my eyes, I think, to the profound justice issues that underpin climate change. And then over the years, my work has continued to focus at the intersections between climate governance and human rights, and particularly economic, social, and cultural rights. And it's been really interesting to sort of watch the evolution of the discourse of rights in the climate change sphere over the years to see that, you know, now the idea that climate change can have and is having already really profound effects on, on people's human rights. This idea is now, you know, pretty well accepted, but it wasn't well accepted in the beginning. Um, people either simply didn't view climate change as in that way, or they viewed human rights as sort of being a, dis- a distraction, I guess, from, from climate action. But now there's much more understanding and acceptance of this connection. But when it comes to the rights of persons with disabilities, there still does continue to be a real lack of awareness, a lack of inclusion, and just a great deal of ableism in the mainstream. Uh, disabled people account for about 15% of the world's population, but they're, and they're disproportionately affected by climate change impacts, but they've been largely invisible in the field of climate change. So this is an exclusion that n- not only you know, jeopardizes their lives and their well-being, but it also means that the contributions of the disability community to reducing carbon emissions and to enhancing you know, climate resilience remain largely unrealized. 
So working on disability and climate change has really been a continuation of the thread of you know, human rights and the environment that has run throughout my professional life and that continues to motivate the work that I do. And I just, I wanna see disability rights recognized, considered and acted on in every facet of climate change and the climate change response. And Professor Sebastian Jodoin, who's the director and the co-founder of DICARP, he's someone that I've worked with and collaborated with for a long time. So I was really thrilled to be able to join the team and to take part in this important work. DICARP's work claims to draw on the human rights model of disability enshrined in the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. We asked Catherine about how she understands that model and how it shapes DICARP's work. Yeah, so the human rights model of disability essentially conceives of of people with disabilities as rights bearers who are entitled to legal protections against discrimination and who are entitled to achieve substantive equality with their peers who don't have disabilities. And this framework views impairments as being part of of human diversity, and, and it recognizes that people with disabilities may require support not only because of underlying physical impairments or physiological impairments, but also due to you know, to socially constructed barriers. So as a result, a disability rights approach requires not only the elimination of discrimination, but it also requires the adoption of positive measures to address things like the physical, economic, institutional, and social barriers that hinder the full enjoyment of the rights by disabled people. So with respect to DICARP, this model of disability really underpins all the work that we do. We still know relatively little about the factors that shape the capacity of disabled people to cope with climate impacts and the ways in which they may be affected by climate mitigation and climate adaptation actions. So we work with disability and climate activists and experts from around the world to generate and share knowledge on these issues and on how efforts to to combat climate change can be designed and implemented in ways that respect and protect and fulfill the rights of of disabled people. And we always seek to ensure too that this work is led by or in collaboration with disabled persons, that it's accessible to the diverse segments of the disability community, and that it centers their voices and enhances their agency in in the field of climate change. DICARP also emphasizes an intersectional focus. We asked Catherine how this frame of analysis affects how DICARP operates. Yeah, so again, this intersectional focus is actually sort of a part of the human rights model of disability. Basically, it seeks to take into account the role that other forms of marginalization and discrimination may play in disadvantaging people with disabilities. So in other words, an intersectional approach considers the interactions between disability and other forms of oppression, like those that are linked to race, to gender, age, queerness, and other characteristics. And it looks at how those interactions may shape processes and outcomes in relation to climate governance and vulnerability. And so this focus informs our work, it informs our research, and it's an integral part of the framework under which we operate. DICARP's side event at COP26 was the first official side event in the 30-year history of UN climate negotiations to focus on disability and the people with disabilities. In order to make this event happen, Catherine explained that disability rights activists had to overcome and yet continued to face many obstacles. Yeah, this was a a really important moment in a lot of ways. And behind this milestone lies the tremendous work of many, many disability rights activists, of disabled persons organizations, their allies, scholars, and others, really from around the world who have worked to bring these issues to the forefront, to build an evidence base, to 
develop the critical frameworks to think through these issues and to begin to build the linkages between the disability and, and the climate change communities. And there has been a great deal of ableism to overcome a lot of barriers to entry. Even at COP26 itself, there was a, a fairly well-reported and widely reported incident where an Israeli minister who is a wheelchair user was unable to participate in the talks because she was unable to actually access the venue because of accessibility barriers. And then trying to organize our side event, we also had a lot of trouble just trying to ensure that we could have simultaneous sign language interpretation of the event, trying to cut through the red tape to ensure that our event was accessible. It was really challenging. And, you know, I think it's telling because this is at the, the level of the UN itself, you know, the UN, which actively promotes accessibility for, for people with disabilities. And so you can imagine if there are huge barriers there, what kinds of challenges are experienced at every other level of action and organization, you know, from the grassroots level up. At COP26, DICARP shared the results of its forthcoming report on disability inclusion in national climate commitments and policies. We asked Catherine about what that report found, and in particular how countries around the world are faring with regards to those commitments and policies. I guess the short answer is that they're not faring too well. <laughs> and, you know, I've touched on this a little bit, but maybe I'll just preface my answer by explaining a bit about why this matters. You know, we know that the impacts of climate change on persons with disabilities are not theoretical. Disabled people are already feeling and experiencing these impacts. And this is everything from disasters like typhoons and wildfires to more gradual changes like drought, sea level rise. All of these kinds of changes brought by climate change have disproportionate effects on the lives and well-being and livelihoods of disabled people all around the world. And, and again, this is due to a range of factors that include inaccessible emergency preparedness, planning, systemic discrimination, widespread poverty, it means that people with disabilities are essentially being left behind in relief and response efforts. So this is a big deal. And I think it's also important to note that disabled people may be negatively impacted by responses to climate change. And what I mean by this is by the actions that governments themselves take to try and combat climate change. So an example of this is policies to reduce carbon emissions, for example, things like bans on carbon intensive products. They're often designed without the consideration of the rights perspectives and requirements of the disability community. And as a result, they don't address the differential costs and burdens that these measures can have on disabled individuals. So getting back to our report and the analysis that we conducted, we found that only a minority of state parties to the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change actually include persons with disabilities in their climate change policies at all. So we found that only 35 of 192 parties to the UNFCCC currently refer to people with disabilities in their NDC or their nationally determined contribution. And the NDC is essentially the efforts that each party commits to take to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and to adapt to the impacts of climate change. And these are documents that are, you know, they're formally submitted to the UNFCCC. So of the NDCs that have been submitted, only 35 of these, or about roughly 18%, actually refer to disabled people. We also looked at countries' national climate and mitigation, climate mitigation and adaptation policies. So with respect to state parties' climate mitigation policies, we actually found that there were none that currently refer to people with disabilities, none at all. And then with respect to adaptation policies, we found that only 45 state parties currently refer to people with disabilities, to people with health conditions, or to those with chronic illnesses. So this is roughly 23% of countries. 
I think it's also important to note that what we found is that in cases where disability has been included in these policies or in NDCs, the references are largely cursory in nature. You know, So these references often simply indicate the vulnerability of disabled people to climate change, or they single, signal the need for their inclusion, but they don't provide concrete measures to enhance their resilience or adaptive capacity. So that's important because you know, obviously recognition is great. <laughs> if that recognition doesn't translate into concrete policies or changes on the ground, then that's a big problem. And to that end, you know, the active participation of disabled people and their representative organizations in the design and the implementation and the monitoring of climate change policies and programs, that's absolutely vital. In light of these disappointing official responses to disability inclusion and climate policy, we asked Catherine what gives her hope for the future. Yeah, you know, it, it can be quite hard to feel optimistic working in the climate change field. I would say that, you know, overall, the outcome of 26 was really marred by the failure of countries to uphold their human rights obligations and to protect the most vulnerable around the world from the worst effects of climate change and the climate crisis. And I think key amongst these failures was the, just the lack of ambition in terms of limiting greenhouse gas emissions, um, and, and just continued concessions to big polluters. You know, The outcomes I think fell far short of meeting the urgency of the situation and the urgency of the action that's needed. But at the same time, we don't have the luxury of despairing when people's lives and, and futures are on the line. We really have to act. And so I do think that there's a lot of hope you know, in the momentum that's building for the increasing recognition not only of the, the harms that disabled people face in relation to the climate crisis, but also of the tremendous potential of, of persons with disabilities to contribute in really important and meaningful ways to this transition to a greener and a more inclusive world. And so here, the concept of building back better, this is something that we've heard spoken about a lot, particularly recently in the context of the pandemic, I think it really resonates. If we want to survive as a species, we have to remake society. There's no way around that. But that's actually exciting, you know, because there is so much potential in that. And there's so much room for us to create more inclusive, more sustainable, more equitable, just systems, um, infrastructures, institutions, and just ways of being that will benefit not only those who are marginalized and particularly vulnerable, but really everyone. And that has to happen, you know, not only at the highest levels at the sort of UN international level, but also across countries, across cities, across neighborhoods. So I do really think that the potential there is exciting, that it's really hopeful, but it's gonna take a lot of work. Catherine Lofts offers crucial knowledge on how efforts to combat the climate crisis can best fulfill the rights of people with disabilities. Her work is an example of how legal research and advocacy can help make the world a better place. On behalf of the MJSDL, we'd like to thank Catherine Lofts for having shared her time and insights with us. See you next time on Sustainability Spotlights. Mm-hmm.